you have your Bibles, would you open up to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. Cannot tell you the last time I ever preached out of Proverbs. Um, I think there's a passage here that I'm 26 years of preaching, I've never even preached out of this passage, uh, that we're going to dive into. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18. If, uh, if you don't have your Bible, but you have got like the Version Bible app, you can actually bring up our sermon notes every single week. Um, gives you a chance to take your own notes, uh, to send those notes to somebody that you feel needs them, all sorts of just fun stuff with it. Um, but just so thrilled that you're here. Um, happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, after the service, uh, for, every, for every adult uh, man in the room, we have got Dad's root beer waiting for you that will be ice cold, that will be at each entrance. We've got root beer, we've got cream soda, we've got orange something made by dad's root beer, so it's orange, I call it orange crush. Y'all remember orange crush? Yeah, everybody over the age of, of 35 probably knows that. Orange crush in a glass bottle. And then this afternoon, you get to take what I consider the filet mignon of naps, that Sunday afternoon naps. That is the best nap of all the naps. Take a good nap. I was kind of bummed I cut the grass earlier this week because I love cutting the grass. I'm like, I should have done that on Father's Day. I just love cutting the grass and putting in the nice lines for Google Earth to take a picture. Absolutely love it. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? I've given you time to look up your scripture. Proverbs 30. Verse 18. Three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. The way of the eagle in the sky, the way of the serpent on the rock, the way of the ship in the high seas, and the way of the man with the virgin. You're like, oh, it's getting real now. <laughs> then we get to verse 20. This is the way of the adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done nothing. How encouraging is Father's Day today? We're going to have a little bit of fun today. Uh, the Lord's going to give me some direction to take, and uh, whenever we do a marriage and relationship series, I, I honestly, I love preaching on sex, and I will tell you this, um, I, I'm pretty fearless with any topic that's out there, uh, but this is one of those that I don't have a fear of, of, of preaching it, but my prayer this week is, Lord, I speak against sound bites, little clips, and statements taken out of context that you would utilize to take and to manipulate the word of God, the name of God, and the heart of this house. That's how I've been praying this week, and I'm believing that God's going to utilize this uh, message in a powerful way to challenge all of our hearts to see God's view of sexuality. Jesus, I just ask that you would meet us today, that you would, Lord, help us to take off the seatbelt, so to speak, to what we want to believe, where we want to stand, and we would truly see this phenomenal subject through your eyes, that we would capture your heart today. That, Lord, even though we have a stance that's based upon what you have set up, Lord, I pray that you would just break the backbone of hate, uh, that you would, Lord, that you would demolish the strongholds that would want to manipulate this message to be opposite of what it intends to be, to not just to show the model of what God has set up, but, Lord, the, the type of love that you have for us as humanity. So, Lord, speak. Your servants are waiting and listening and ready to respond with obedience and love toward our spouses, toward our friends, toward one another, that we would walk as agents of love. We speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. give someone an awkward high five when you, when you are seated.
Have you ever lost something that was of great value? All right, husbands, have you ever lost your wedding ring? (laughs) Oh, I see, I got some honest people. That's actually how I got Anne to agree to let me get a tattoo. 38 years old, I lost my wedding ring somewhere around the house. I'm like, you know, I've been wanting to get a tattoo for years. What if I got a a ring tattoo? That way, it's just forever. I am married to you. And she goes, you know what? I think I can get behind a tattoo now that all of a sudden the next day she finds my wedding ring in the dryer. I'm like, you agreed to let me get a tattoo? And uh, all of a sudden, uh, I was 38 years old, got, my, got the word Sila, and it just has not stopped since. So it's not my fault, it's my wife's fault. Um, starting off a marriage series in a great way here. Um, we, could, uh, we, we could tend to go into a little bit of a panic when we lose something of great value. And when I think of losing something of great value, I think of an article that came out in 2013 about a man by the name of James Harwell who lost something of great value. James Harwell had, was doing some cleanup in his office, and in his desk drawer he had a couple hard drives, one of which was just broken and it was of no use, and the other, he just really wasn't thinking about what, was, what he was keeping, what he was throwing away. And that day, he threw away those hard drives and didn't think about it until all of a sudden he decided to get into his crypto wallet. You see, when you've got a crypto wallet and you've lost the password, it's not like email or like the other day, I had to get into my State Farm app and I couldn't remember my password, and so you do the forget forgot your password, the recovery password, whatever that's going to be called in that app or that website. You can get a new password to get into the things that you want to do, but with a crypto wallet, if you lose your password, there is no password recovery. And the problem is, is he had 8,000 bitcoins in that wallet of his, that digital wallet. And to give you a perspective, at the height of the bitcoin rage, this hard drive and its password and the password that connected to 8,000 Bitcoin was worth $500 million. He threw away $500 million. So he had to go meet with the city and he actually has investors and for a decade they have been going through 100,000 pounds of garbage trying to locate this hard drive because you only have like three or four tries and he's tried all of the tries but one because once you tried that last one it's now locked forever have you ever lost something that's of high valuable seemingly irreplaceable but i'm here to say this that when you when god has given something of irreplaceable value and we treat it as common heartache will be the inevitable results No matter what it is, God has given us something of irreplaceable value. And we're not just talking about sexuality, but when I think about sometimes friendships in our life, sometimes even church homes, sometimes I think the scriptures are of irreplaceable value. When I think of marriages, I think of just connections that we have, the things that God has blessed our lives with from our homes to our vehicles. Everything that God has given, we're meant to be a steward of and not an owner of. And when we begin to treat things that God has given as common, we are setting our hearts up for heartache. And it's the inevitable result. 
And so this morning, every, every marriage or relationship series, I love talking about that topic of sex. Does it make everybody comfortable? That's part of why I love preaching about the subject. But I think the church should have a loud voice regarding, about the, regarding the issue of sexuality. And for those of you that have been with me long enough in this congregation, you know this, is that for years, we have allowed the world to have the voice in the microphone shouting out upon their views of what sexuality is. And it seems like very few churches have ever given any type of message and the only message that I've ever really grown up hearing about church was God is blessed for marriage and if you're not married wait till you're married just say no and we treat marriage like drugs just say no just say no don't have sex just say no and we and we talk kids to say no to sex till their marriage but we never talk to them about the holiness of God that is what we're really after because just because you haven't had sex before you're married doesn't mean you've remained pure and so I want to talk this morning about this beautiful gift that God has given. And I, and I want to draw out of the scripture that God gave us here in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18. Because we get these amazing metaphors that seem confusing because you're reading the first few metaphors. You're like, what does this have to do with sex at all? So look at the scripture. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. He's very poetic writing this. He says, the way of the eagle in the sky... Okay, what does that mean? Have you ever met somebody that just saw an eagle? Of course you have, because when you see an eagle, you have to tell somebody. Have you noticed that? If you saw an eagle, it's like the first thing you do is you want to tweet about it. You want to post it on Facebook. Just saw an eagle today. We don't say that about any other bird. I saw a robin today. Woo! Did you know that Benjamin Franklin wanted our national bird to be the turkey? How ugly is that? <laughs> Imagine if that's what we're flying on flags or we're attacking other countries like, oh, it's the turkeys. That's no big deal. But eagle, there's something about seeing an eagle fly, seeing it descend. I remember being on vacation. I'm doing my devotions, and I hear this little noise above me, and there's an eagle sitting above me. I'm like, oh, this is a God moment. They that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I wasn't reading that, but I wish I was reading that in that moment. And then I see the eagle take off, and I dove into the lake to get its prey. It came up out of it, and I'm like, oh, I got to tweet about this. I mean, there's something very powerful and majestic that just kind of captures your brain when you see an eagle flying. Or look at the other metaphor that the Proverbs writer uses. He says, like a ship on the sea. Why is that such a big deal? Did you know that in the top five things that are most painted in this world, in the top five, ship on a sea or a ship on water is one of the things that is most commonly painted worldwide over the course of the past few centuries. Art has dictated the ship on the sea perhaps more, almost more than any other thing. And I started kind of looking it up. I'm like, why is this such a big deal? And artists, they, they like seeing the, the water and painting the water around the ship itself and the curvature of the ship and then the sunset or the, or the sun rising, the way the skyline looks, uh, the way they can try to depict the, the roaring ocean. Or sometimes I'll walk into some of your homes and you've got like the lighthouse with the waves crashing up against it. There is just so Something majestic about seeing a ship on the sea navigating the tough waters and that just kind of captures your heart and it's like, wow, that's just a cool moment. Or look at the other metaphor here. We've got a snake on a rock. What does that have to do with anything? 
But have you ever, now in Michigan, we just have like gardener snakes. We've got like, I think, one poisonous snake, and it's, it's located somewhere in Timbuktu that nobody ever sees. But I remember being vacation out west, and as we are walking like down this path, there's a group behind us, and all of a sudden we had just passed this spot. They're like, there's a snake. And now everywhere we had went in that area, there were constant signs that says, watch out for poisonous snakes. And so these people are crowding around it. And so when we, went, when we saw that, I'm telling you what, my wife now had that spot on her radar. I mean, how many of you know when you see a snake, and you know it's not a gardener snake, you don't lose sight of it. You're going to know where that's at at all times. And like, like when we came back by that area, my wife just literally just went to a dead sprint and left me behind. She's like, I'm, I'm good. I'm not getting got. You, you go do your thing. And for meanwhile, I've got my head in the bushes. Where's the snake? But with a snake, your eyes, it captures your, your, your gaze. And you're staring at it because you want to know where it's at at all times. This is the metaphors that the, the Proverbs gives. And in the fourth metaphor, it, it says, a man and a virgin. He's talking about a wedding night. And he's merging these together, and he's showing this value of what God brings to sex. And a Proverbs writer says, this is where sex belongs. It belongs in this place where you, where you see an eagle in the sky, and you're like, wow! You've got this ship. It's showing its power and its majesty hitting the waves and navigating the seas, keeping your eye upon that, it's the serpent on the rock, fixing, fixing your attention and making sure that you don't take your eyes off it because there's something significant that's there. The beauty of a man and woman come together on their wedding night. He says, this is the awe that you have to have because it's meant, sex is meant to be elevated and not meant to be treated as common. I wish I had more than one amen from Emily over here. Thank you. It's okay, to, it's okay to react with the pastor when we talk about sex. It's all good. By the way, uh, for married couples in the room, there is a QR code on the back of your seat, something we, we forgot to tell you about. We're doing questionnaires every single service during this series. So if you would answer some of those questionnaires, you can, you can multitask with Pastor Dave this morning. We're giving away some dates for you to go out and to, for you to enjoy. So we'll give those away at the end of service. Um, plus, if you put your, your answers there, I'm just letting you know, heads up, those answers are eligible to be read over top of the mic. So just as a heads up, keep it clean, folks. Sex belongs in an elevated place. Like an eagle flying. Like a ship navigating the waters. Like a snake on a rock to get our attention. And then all of a sudden, the Proverbs writer shifts into a different gear in verse 20, and he says, then there's the way the adulteress, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. If you read other translations, I'm just going to tell you, it will get a lot more graphic than that. In other words, she looks at the sexual experience like a common meal where just let me brush the crumbs off and let me move on to my next meal, move on to my next appointment, move on to the next person. And so here we see that sex is supposed to be elevated, but in verse 20, the Proverbs writer warns us, don't treat it as common. Don't treat it as common. I was reading an article out of Vanity Fair. By the way, I don't get Vanity Fair at my home, but I came across an article I've saved for a while called The Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. 
And to give a few quotes, because this article began to talk about the downfall of what, da- what has happened to the dating process and the way we pursue each other and how we're supposed to pursue each other and what we now pursue in each other. And there was a quote, a couple quotes. One, of them, one person said this, nobody wants to date, they just want to hit it and quit it. Did we just hear that in church? Another person said this, it's rare for a woman of our generation to meet a man who treats her like a priority instead of an option. What is this saying? That's Proverbs like 30 verse 20. Treating it as a common moment, a common connection, and we just wipe the crumbs from our face and we move on toward the next meal. In the article, it said that a woman met a man on Tinder. She hooked up with them, and while she was putting her clothes back on, he was, she looked over and literally saw him back on Tinder looking for his next hookup after that. And we're in this mode of hookup. We're in this mode of casual sexuality. And we have no longer seen it as the eagle in the air, the ship on the water, the snake on the rock. We will no longer see the, the peculiar specialty of seeing husband and wife come together for the first time on, on that wedding night. And we see it as completely common, no longer elevated. But I'm here to say that is not the sex of God's word. In fact, we are fed by media. We're fed by TV series that we binge. We're fed by the apps that get us, give us all sorts of shows and movies to watch. And now we create our framework by which to think about sex and sexuality by what we watch. And how, you know, I know how ridiculous that is. It's like handing a 15-year-old all 90 Fast and the Furious movies and say, here, learn how to drive from watching these. You're asking for a catastrophic moment. And in this day and age, now I remember about 10 years ago or so, all of a sudden I began to see more commercials on, always on during football, find your compatible match. Trying to help out these dudes watching football. Find your compatible match. You know what it has changed through? Because before, find your compatible match. I'm not against dating apps. I, I've got friends who have met their spouses on dating apps. I've done weddings and people found themselves on, found each other on dating apps. I think they're wonderful. I think they're great when they're navigated in a very healthy way. But in the age of apps like Tinder, where you're not going to look for a spouse, you're going to look for who, for who you are sexually compatible to. And what we have ended up doing in this day and age is we're not looking for somebody that we're compatible with in our life. We're looking for somebody who can meet my sexual expectations that are living inside of my head. And if I can't find that, I, I discard them and I move on toward the next person. But I'm here to say if they, we will just simply listen to God, we can mitigate the cultural baggage that comes our way. If we will listen to the Lord. And if you're in here and you're with your teenagers, I'm glad your teenagers are in the house today. My, my son is 20, and he asked if he can go to kids' church, kids church this morning. So let's just talk about sex this morning. First of all, if you're taking notes, we're just going to do a simple outline. Let's talk about the origin of sex. The origin of sex. Uh, I love talking about the origin of sex because you go back to the book of Genesis. Origin stories are huge right now in our culture. If you are a moviegoer, like I'm a moviegoer, I just went and saw the great Christian flick, The Flash. Uh, I really enjoyed The Flash, enjoyed the, the whole movie itself. I love superhero movies, but many times when you get into superhero movies, you have to get the origin story of how they got their powers or how they came to be. And so this is our origin story. It's Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18 through 22 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Little pause there. God 
day after day made things and called it good and this is the first time that God said it is not good that man should be alone now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see whatever he would call them and everything the man called and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name and the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the heavens and to every beast of the field but for Adam there was not a help uh, a helper fit for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man made it into woman and brought her to him. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now right there, we read Something very simple, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, and we just were like, okay, that's kind of a weird thing to say. You meet a girl for the first time, and ooh, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, and for which they will report you to some authority or get put on the list for saying that to people. But what we have here is an actual poem. It's a song. So the first time he sees woman, he breaks out in song. Gentlemen, you want a response from your wife? I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad. Sing to her today. Steal somebody's lyrics. Go back. Steal some Backstreet Boy lyrics. Steal Backstreet Boys. Why did I go to that? Steal something and just sing it to her. Sing it over her. And what's Adam doing here, the first man? He looks at his wife and he says, Eagle in the sky. Ship on the water. Snake on the rock. I don't call, even call her a snake. That's odd. But he's like... She has captured my heart. She has captured my attention. Wow! Good job, God! That's literally what's going on. And right there, he is captivated by what God has created. This is the origin of them coming together because the scripture then says in the next verse, it is for this reason that man and woman should come together and they should be cleaved one to another, King James Version, and the two shall become one. This scripture is so important that Jesus quotes the scripture and then Paul quotes the scripture later on in his epistles. This is a big deal because this gives us the origin of God bringing together man and woman in matrimony and in a sexual experience. Let me remind you this, that sex didn't happen when sin came onto the earth. Sex happened well before the earth. This is a gift of God, which gives us, number two, the intention of sex. What's the intention of sex? Let me break it down. Three, three ways, three things that sex does. Number one, it enhances your marriage. What is wrong with you? Number one, it enhances your marriage. There we go. The teenagers, you're not allowed to yell at that one. Number two, it perpetuates generations. Number three, it makes the partnership concrete. It enhances, it perpetuates, and it makes things concrete. That, that, the two become one. Verse 24, the two become one. Now, when we look at the gift of the sexual act, this is something that's very cool, is when in the midst of the sexual act, there is two specific chemicals that get released into our bloodstream. Number one is called dopamine. It's called the pleasure chemical. And what it's designed to do, it's not just there to give you pleasure, but it makes you want to return back to that thing for which you receive pleasure from. Do I know why pornography is so addictive? It's because when you're viewing something that you ought not to be viewing... 
it gives you this fix of dopamine that makes you want to return back to the thing that offered you that sense of dopamine. That's why God reserved sexuality for marriage is because he wanted the pleasure to come from your spouse so that you would keep returning back to your spouse for that pleasure point. Secondly, you get something called oxytocin. Oxytocin is known as the cuddling chemical. And there are three times that oxytocin gets pumped through your bloodstream. One for both genders, two for the one gender. First of all, oxytocin will actually flow during the sexual act into your bloodstream. And it makes you want to draw closer to that person. But the two other times that oxytocin will go through your bloodstream is, is when you're giving birth and if you're nursing. And it is called the cuddling chemical because there is something about that moment that makes you want to latch onto that person for what you're experiencing that with. When a woman gives birth and all of a sudden she, she holds onto that baby and all of a sudden the pain that was there during birth seems to be gone and you begin to latch onto this child that you've just given birth to. That when the sexual act happens between a husband and a wife, it makes you want to say words like, I love you. I want you. I need you. It's these moments that God has gifted us within the midst of sexuality that makes it so good. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, sex outside of marriage is not sin because it's so bad, but because it's so good. Sex. Sex is good. We'll talk over here. Oh, no, they need it over here. And what he's saying is, it's, it's not sin because it's a bad thing. This is like going into your bank and recognizing. I don't know if you've ever gone to a bank. Have you recognized that there are cameras up in the bank? You ever noticed that? Ever seen security guards at a bank? Or have you ever seen the vault opened up, but there's bars right there? There's locks on all the individual boxes inside of the vault. Do you want to know why there's so much security at the bank? It's not because the money is bad. It's because there is something inherently wonderful and good and useful that's there, but has to be guarded so that not everybody can come help themselves. God has got a plan that he doesn't want to keep you from fun. He wants to have the enhanced version that he has designed for your marriage given to you. What is God's plan? Biological man, biological woman in a covenant with one another over a lifetime. That's the plan. That's the protected plan. Because he looks at it as a gift. The two become one. They become one financially. They become one spiritually. I believe a spiritual act takes place. When we married you two a few weeks ago, they're back. This is awesome. They got married two weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Rick and Michelle got married and we were all crying like babies. A spiritual act took place. They were one. Like when, I, when I was dating Ann Cara, she was Ann Cara, I was Dave Berenger. People were wondering why she was putting up with me. And then when we got married, we were no longer Dave Berenger and Ann Cara. We were, we were Dave and Ann. One person, oneness takes place. And it's a gift. But for some reason, we've taken the gift and we've developed identities. And just about a month or so, or so um, I'm just going to be just off the charts excited because the preseason NFL will start up. And I know, shocker. And something that I've, I've learned, and maybe you didn't know, is the average NFL tenure, the average NFL career lasts 3.3 years. 
the average NFL career is only 3.3 years. And if you're 35 in the NFL, that means you're elite and you're old. The day and age of Tom Brady getting his walker and, and walking out to, to do his thing. I mean, that is ultra elite level. That is ultra. But the average NFL career is 3.3 years. Now, here's the problem. And I was reading a, a, an article on this. I, and he talked about how these young men, they're done at the NFL at 25, 26 years old at the oldest for most and what has happened is they played football as peewee football, then into rocket football, then into middle school football, then into high school football, then they get recruited, they go to Division One, Division Two, and then out of there they get drafted or they're the, the free agent rookie and they get signed on to a team. Their life and their identity for years has been derived from their giftings and all of a sudden they get to 25, 26 and their NFL career, they get cut and it's done. There's no more NFL and they step back and they are asking, who am I supposed to be? Because they live their identity out of their gift. What has happened with sexuality is we look at sex as an identity instead of as a gift. And no wonder there's so much confusion about what is what, what is this, what is that. It's because we were never meant to derive our identities from our gift, but our gifts out of our identities. You are meant to know who you are in Jesus. And out of that knowing Jesus and, and your faith in Jesus, that's there that you start realizing your gifts and what they're meant to be and how they're meant to be used. But some of us are chasing jobs because our gifting is in our job. Or we're chasing a person because I think our gifting is with people. When we're chasing our giftings, you will always lose yourself. Because at some point, the gifting will, will stop. And you have to realize you have to be something beyond the gift. The intention of sex was to be a gift. And that leads us into number three, the distortion of sex. It's become distorted. First Thessalonians chapter 4, they give you a little idea of how messed up the Thessalonica church is, and should say the city. Uh, Paul wrote two letters to a church in Thessalonica. There's a mouthful to say. And planted a church, and people were coming to know Christ, but the culture of this church was a very sexualized culture. So much so that in the culture of Thessalonica, not only were you encouraged to get married, but you were encouraged to have two people on the side. Your wife, your girlfriend, your concubine. And that was the culture. Then they had temples for which they had hundreds and sometimes even thousands of temple prostitutes that was a part of your worship. They had a phallic symbol as one of the main worship idols there within the city. And so Paul writes to this overly sexualized society. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now the word sexual immorality in the Greek language is the word pornea. Do you know what word we get? Pornography or porn. But when you see that, you automatically think it's God's will to be holy, so stay away from porn. By the way, stay away from porn. Thank you for the amen, Judy. Goodness gracious. But that word porn, what does that truly mean? How many of you have a junk drawer in your kitchen? Anybody? You want to admit? Oh, there we are, all of us human beings. That drawer, that, that, like the, the garlic press, the leftover chopsticks, um, a peeler, or the meat thermometer, the things that don't have the normal place, you have to have that catch-all drawer that just everything goes into. Pornea is the catch-all drawer. What do we mean by catch-all? 
Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. He's like, listen, there is a, God's will for sexuality is man and woman and a covenant till death do us part. Everything beyond that, junk drawer. Everything beyond that goes in the junk drawer. Everything, God's design is this. Man, woman, come together in holy matrimony and enjoying each other, enhancing their marriage, cleaving one to another. But, all, but you're like, well, Pastor, well, what about this scenario? What about that scenario? I get questions about exceptions and scenarios, but I'm here to say this. We have to recognize there is a difference between what is acceptable to culture and what's acceptable to God. And I've learned that I don't have to affirm an issue to show authentic love toward individuals. I don't have to affirm an issue. I don't have to affirm a lifestyle to show authentic love for individuals. I've, I've said this for years. Disagreement does not equal hate. I've got people in my life that, are, that, are, that come from different backgrounds, different lifestyles. I mean, go to the climbing gym with me. You'll meet people from all sorts of different lifestyles and backgrounds. And I promise you this. Not one of them would ever say that Dave is, is hateful, unkind, um, that I push people away. In fact, they'll say that, that Dave will be the kindest person in the world that will do whatever for anybody. Because we can't allow that fact that we may have a difference in, a, in, in our standard and we may appreciate and even hold on to what God's standard and have that be dictated as hate toward any one person. This church, Kalamazoo First, will always be open to anybody who wants to walk through those doors. Always, always, always. No matter their background, their skin color, no matter their choices, no matter what has happened in life, this door will always be open. And we will always stand upon the word. We will always proclaim grace in Jesus. And we will always say that God loves you enough that he sent his son for you. Now I've had people come at me and say, well, well God's love isn't compromised by, by what I do or what I believe or what I think. And I want to make a statement about that. Your sin doesn't compromise God's love. Your sin is what breaks your relationship with him. Your sin doesn't compromise God's love. It's, I can't imagine as much, I, I believe that no, nobody on earth loves their children like I love my kids. Just, I just, I don't believe it. Love my kids. You attack my kids, Trailer Park Dave comes out. <laughs> Ethan has seen Trailer Park Dave. It's his favorite Dave. Nothing that they will ever do will compromise how much I love them. Now, can something they do or something I do break the relationship? You better believe it. It could. And some of us have painted the idea that I give myself permission because of God's love. God's love doesn't give permission. God's love is what compels us to change. It draws us into relationship with him, which gives us, number four, the repercussions of sex. We're almost done. We're ready to land. Repercussions of sex. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Okay, if Thessalonica was bad, Corinth was Vegas meets Mardi Gras. This was the, the sex capital of the known world. And so Paul writes to them, I love the message paraphrase, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as it is physical facts. In other words, this idea of sex and the repercussions are deeper because sex is, is more than just physical connection. Man, if I can get 
If I could tread on some thin ice here a little bit with you. If I could tread on some thin ice. And I, I'm not here to trigger anything with anybody. But for people to say it's just an act, I'm here to say, then why is it that when we deal with a rape victim, it's different from a simple physical um, abuse situation? Why is it? And in my position, there's things that I have to deal with that I feel honored to be brought into, but they're tough ones. But when I have to deal with a teenager or child that has been molested, why is it that that issue goes deeper and lingers on longer than a simple physical misdemeanor that was done against them? Why is it that when people talk to their pastor or their counselors and they say things like, I, I just got to tell somebody about this. I just got to let this out. Why is it that most of the time when they got to get something out, it's always connected to, to a sexual act? It's because it's more than skin on skin. There is something deeply spiritual that goes together with sex. That's why in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, uh, Paul is writing to the church and he says, listen, when you give in to all sensuality, you start losing all sensitivity. We have something broke and we need to fix it. I read an article um, from the New York Times called Dating is Broken. It's time to go retro. And where this author from the New York Post begins to write, we need to go back to courtship. Can you believe, you wrap your head around reading the New York Post, reading, we got to go back to courtship style dating. And they begin to write down different stats. And one of them was from a 2010 study for the American Psychological Association Journal of Family Psychology. Researchers found that couples who waited till marriage for sex reported not just less consideration of divorce, but a higher relationship satisfaction, better communication, and superior sexual experiences when compared with couples who had sex within a month of their first date or before they started dating. Couples who slept together between a month and two months of their first date and didn't wait saw half of the benefits that couples who waited received. They also said this, people tend to make be better dating decisions when they are not entangled together. And this is what it says, quote unquote, simply put, we are hardwired to connect. I wonder where we got that from. It says rapid sexual in uh, initiation often creates poor partnership selection. Because those intense feelings of pleasure and attachment can be confused for intimacy and lasting love. The oxytocin is pumping. And we make decisions off of sex rather than off of courtship. I mean, look, here's a stat. One in five cohabitating couples only end in marriage. One in five cohabitating couples. I've heard, Pastor, we're just, we're just trying things out before we get married. One in five couples actually get married. And for the couples that do for that one, they have a twice divorce rate than people who did not live together before they got married. Why does God have high, high standards? Because he wants your sexual experience in your marriage to be the eagle on the sky. The ship on the waters. The snake on the rock. That we might enjoy and cherish it and see it elevated and considered valuable. I want to say it this way. Serving Jesus is about lordship. And we must be willing to place everything, including our sexuality, underneath the lordship of Jesus. 
Everything we do is about lordship. When we put our faith in Jesus, it's not about conforming to Pastor Dave's standards. It's living in the lordship of Jesus. And that brings us to our last point. And I need a keyboardist because some of you are like, someone send the keyboardist to get him to shut up. But I want to get to what I think is what God wants to bring us today, the restoration of sex. Because numbers of us in the house, we've had to have some things in our lives restored. My first exposure to pornography was at the age of eight. And this is before, before internet. This is my friend discovering his dad's Playboy collection. That's where my exposure came. And then with that exposure came knowing when to tune into cable TV at certain times of the day. Knowing who had access to this and who had access to this. And I remember when we first got, when we were engaged, I remember talking with my wife and she's like, you know, I said, babe, do you have any, any concerns? She says, I'll be honest, your background of pornography has got, gave me the biggest concern. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, oh, well, that has nothing to do with you. She goes, that has everything to do with me because how do I know that when you're not with me that you're not picturing something else and it crushed my heart. I needed something restored. And if you ever need a really, really phenomenal story of, rest, of restoration, read the book of Hosea. Because God, <laughs> this is so crazy. God instructs Hosea the prophet to marry a prostitute. How many of you would love to have that conversation with your kids? And Gomer is the name of his wife, and Gomer abandons her marriage to go back to her prostitution. Why does that happen? Because there are some times in life that we prefer some known slavery to unknown freedoms. And she goes, and she leaves, and she goes back to her pimp, and he puts her on the auctioning block. And what we get in the book of Isaiah is people are bidding on Gomer that all of a sudden, a voice, a familiar voice shouts a bid. Nobody can top. And it's her husband. Why does that keep me so misty-eyed? It's because when I was dead in my brokenness and when I was corrupt in my sin and I had people bidding for my attention, bidding for my heart, bidding for my life, there was a voice above it all that said, I sent my son and I'll pay the price for you. Nobody can match my bid. And that's what Jesus did for me. Washing my mind, washing my heart and restoring my sense of purity. Because your heavenly Father is the great restorer of things lost. Read the Gospels. Lost sheep, lost coins, lost daughters, lost sons. He is the great restorer of lost things. And all he's asking you to do is this. Is maybe you feel like you've lost something in this topic, in this subject. I'm here gonna, my challenge to you is to simply do this. Is to give it back to the owner. There's a lady by the name of Diane, Gor Diane Gordon, 65 years old. And because her car had broken down, she spent a few years walking three miles one way to work and three miles back. Through the summers and through the Michigan winters, she had to walk to work every single day. She was so dependent upon the job that she had to walk there day after day. And one day, she stopped off at a gas station to get a snack. And when she walked into the gas station, she tripped over a shopping bag. And she opened up the shopping bag. Inside the bag was $14,780 cash. So she pulled out her phone and called the police. 
I mean, this could be life-changing money for her situation. The officer came, and his name was Officer Connell, and was amazed by her honesty. They searched the bag, and they found at the bottom a card that says, congratulations on your marriage. So they took the names on the card, they Googled it, and found out a couple got married that day, stopped off for gas, and this was the accumulation of all of their wedding presents. I'm now asking the question, who did they invite to their wedding because I should have invited them? So they did a Google search, able to contact people, found out where this young couple was at, and they gave the $14,780 to this young couple, and Diane just went about her day, walked back home. And so the officer who had taken Diane's information went home and told his wife what had happened. And his wife's name is Stacy, and she was so blown away. She's like, what did you do for the woman? And he's like, I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do. What can you do in that moment? There was no finder's fee. The couple didn't give her anything. And so Stacy, his wife, went online and started a GoFundMe for this woman that had to walk one way for three miles each way and $82,675 poured into by Diane, a vehicle, and then some. And when they ask, what are you going to do with your vehicle? She says, there are women at my workplace that don't have a ride. They don't have a ride. They have to walk. I'm going to drive all of them home and I'm going to pick them all up. What do we do with our sexuality? We got to give it back to the owner. Some of us find it and we hold on to it, but to have that spirit of Diane that simply says, I have something in my hand I can easily just take and try to use for myself, but what if I give it back to the owner? I give it not knowing what to expect, but what God did is God did more than just give her 14. He doubled it. He tripled it. He quadrupled it. And what would happen with our sexuality in our marriages or in our single life or in the, maybe the life that we've been living if we just simply just gave it back to God? What could God do? Because our body, Scripture says, doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Sexuality doesn't belong to humanity. It's the Lord's gift. And so it's my heart that we would give it back to the owner. That we would no longer treat it as common, but we would look at it and say, it's the eagle in the sky. It's the ship on the water. It's majestic. It's powerful. It's beautiful. The snake on the rock, it captures our attention and we watch it and we appreciate it for what it is. Because when we've been given something irre of irreplaceable value and we treat it as common, we are inevitably going to face heartache. But when we treat what God has given as something beautiful and treasured, it's there that God elevates it to the sky. That God causes it to navigate the waves. God puts it in a place where we can see it for what it really is. And appreciate it like a man and his bride coming together. Let's pray. Pastor Dave's done making everybody uncomfortable. In days like today, these are not days where I ask people to come forward or even stand. Because these are days that are also challenging because we've got, we've got people from all walks of life in the house. We've got people that sometimes have kids that are... That are have taken their sexuality into so many different directions and we're not here to make lists. We're not here to say this one's worse than the other. The reality is that right now, we're all sinners in the hands of a very loving God. And we've all had to come to Jesus the same way. 
None of us had to do work harder than the other person because sin was this or that sin was this. The reality is that sin is what separates us from Jesus Christ. But here today, we're here to recognize that God is the restorer of everything. He doesn't just restore purity. He restores life. He restores life. And if you're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, if you're here today and you have found yourself just completely separated from Jesus, and you're ready to make a decision to follow him, I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to become a partner of this church. I'm not asking you to give it an offering. What I am asking is you would take the greatest step that you can ever make. That maybe you feel like your life has fallen apart. Maybe you feel like your life is empty. Maybe you feel like you've had no hope and you wondered, could there be anything that could come from my life? I'm here to say that the Heavenly Father is the great restorer of all things. And if you need your life restored, you want to be made brand new by putting your faith in Jesus I'm asking you, on the count of three, would you just put your hand up in the air saying, Pastor Dave, that's me. No one's looking around. It's me, you, and Jesus right now. If you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. One, two, three. Just slip up your hand. I just want to be able to see. Thank you. I see that in the back. That's awesome. You're the whole reason I showed up today. Anybody else? Just a few more seconds. A few more seconds. For the individual who lift up their hand in the back, I couldn't tell if it was a couple, they were holding hands. I couldn't tell if it was a couple or an individual, but if you were maybe too nervous or if you're watching online, would you just pray with me today? Say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. I ask that you would make my life brand new. That you would be the restorer of broken things. And so today, restore my life by the power of your presence and your love. And today I commit my life to you, ready to turn my back from the way I had been living in order to turn my, my face towards you and to follow you. So Lord, what I do is I just speak life over these individuals, asking that you would do more than they've asked or imagined, that you would just restore hearts and lives. And Lord, what I do today as I also pray for individuals in the house that Lord, maybe they've made some decisions in their life and they feel like, man, I, 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 have, I have botched something up. I have broken something. I have missed something, Lord. I pray for individuals right now that the enemy, the devil, would love to crush them with shame. And Lord, I pray right now life to come in. And Lord, you begin to restore minds and hearts. You begin to restore, restore trust again. I, Lord, I pray that you restore forgiveness in the hearts of couples, Lord God, that Maybe in the area of sexuality, they've just ceased to trust each other and there's been a breach in the marriage bed. Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a healing work in marriages today. Lord, that people that maybe have lived under these weights of guilt, God, that you would restore life, that you would do more than just restore purity, restore minds and hearts, God, that they would walk not anchored down by what they've done, but Lord, they'd be lifted up, walking in forgiveness, grace, and power according to what your Spirit wants to do in them. Lord, I pray for those, Lord, that God, maybe they need some healing in the house today because of actions that have done to them that were not of their choice. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would do what you do best is that you would make all things brand new. You would just breathe life into broken, hurting areas. 
I pray that, Lord, that you would heal fractures together from brokenness that, have, that has happened through years, sometimes even decades, that you want to restore new health and vitality in Jesus' name. And today, Lord, we recognize your greatness and your mercy. We recognize the gift that you have given us. We recognize what you're wanting to do in us and through us, God. And so, Lord, I pray that it would be said of our church and of our faith community that we are not a community that will walk in hate or in, in, in eternal judgment over individuals, but, Lord, that this community would see the life and the love of Jesus live through our lives wherever we go, to whoever we meet, to everybody we interact with, that people through our lives would taste and see that the Lord, he is good. We say to you, the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be the honor and glory forever and ever. And everybody said, can we get God the glory for people giving their lives to Jesus this morning? Thank you for putting up with me this morning. I know this morning I went, went a little bit longer. Um, these are the questions I get a lot. Pastor, where do we stand? Where do we stand? Where do we stand? I hope this morning it is unmistakable where we stand. But I also it's unmistakable that, that, uh, on how we live when we leave this place. And what I want to do today is I want to, uh, to do, do a couple giveaways here. Um, Chandlers, you guys, get, you guys get a gift card. Uh, Stephen and uh, Stephen Chandler sent in his, his uh, questionnaire. What is something you wish you knew before you were married? How much we both do not like doing dishes. Hallelujah. Uh, Lindsay Clark for you and Benny. Let's see. Uh, what's something unexpected that happened at your wedding? Somebody threw wine on somebody else. Oh, that's a good wedding right there. Lola, married 21 years. Uh, something you wish you knew before you got married. My husband places a high value on home-cooked meals, and I can't cook. <laughs> I think I came home from my, from my first day at work being married. I'm like, what's for dinner? She goes, I don't know. You haven't made anything. I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's something we didn't talk about. So for Lola, Lindsay, and Steven, stop by the Connection Center, and you get your gift cards. Would you stand with me? Let's give them a hand. I pray today that the Lord will bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you peace. This morning, if you do need prayer, maybe you're in a place of hurt, maybe a place of brokenness, maybe there's just something going on in your life that you need prayer for, at the end of this hallway is our prayer room. We've got a prayer team that is always available to pray through anything that needs to be prayed through. Uh, but thank you so much for just being here with us. If you're a guest, I promise you we don't talk about sex every single week whatsoever. Uh, but excited. In two weeks, we've got missionary Pierce Davis. I called him Pierce Bronson at staff meeting the other day. Pierce Davis is going to be with us, and he's going to give us a project that we're going to give a love offering for on, on July, I think it's 2nd. And then July 8th or whatever the next Sunday is, we're starting a new series. Um, we're going to talk about questions Jesus asked. We did a series like that last um, summer. We're going to do another one and go after all different questions. So have a wonderful Father's Day. Take your Father's Day nap, and we will see you next week. God bless.